Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Grant Reese. Grant is the CEO of DeepSync, a leading data and technology company in the marketing industry. Before DeepSync, Grant was a member of the executive leadership team at LiveRamp where he continues serving as a strategic advisor. During this time at the company, he held several roles, including CEO of LiveRamp, B2B, as well as running the following businesses, Data, Marketplace, Advanced TV, and most recently as the Executive VP of Emerging Markets. Grant joined LiveRamp through the acquisition of Pacific Data Partners, a B2B data and technology company he co-founded. Prior to LiveRamp, Grant co-founded and served as board member and chief revenue officer of BlueKai. When Oracle acquired BlueKai in 2014, Grant co-launched the Oracle Data Cloud, a global business unit, and served as its vice president. Grant currently serves on the board of directors of Mountain and Rembrandt, is an active angel investor, and has provided advisory and operating support for his various investments in the technology sector for over 20 years. Welcome, Grant. So good to see you. Nice to see you too. I'm so glad we finally did this. I'm going to hit you with rapid fire. Okay. This is one of my favorites. Like, What's your favorite thing to eat at the movies? Um, popcorn. <laughs> Buttered popcorn? And salt. Butter and salt. What's yeah. your biggest pet peeve? People making chewing noises when they eat. I knew you were going to say that. That's so freaking weird. I was like, it's probably just perfectly correlated. Like the person eating the loud popcorn at the movie. It really creates a lot of problems for me that, that the sound, if it's too close. Three words that your friends would use to describe you. I know you've got a very tight group of friends and you hold on to your friends dearly. So how would they describe you? I would like to think that they would describe me as loyal helpful, and generous. I would say I've known you for a long time and I would say yes, yes, and yes. Thank you. Amen. Amen and amen. If you could be famous for something, which I know you wouldn't want, <laughs> it's like your worst nightmare. But if, you, if you could be famous for something, what would it be? Probably something in the sciences, like maybe figure out a way to stop a bunch of problems that are clearly happening for the planet. 
That's right. so noble. I was more no, like I, thinking well, you're going to be like Michael Jordan or something. Well, if you could do anything, like no, I'm literally like who anything. wouldn't want to save the world if they could? Yes. If they could literally do anything. Yeah, that's true. So, like curing cancer or something. Anything in science, I think that would that would probably be helpful. It'd be a it'd be helpful, and plus you get to be famous anyway for it. So yeah, good like Yeah. Is there an app that you use daily that you can't live without? Other than communication apps like email and yeah. I, I look at, this is funny. I look at food photos on Yelp a lot. Food photos? Yeah. From different restaurants. Oh God. Like, cause you're trying to think about which restaurant to eat at or yes. it's just more like inspiration. Yeah. It's part of my restaurant oh. intelligence because for example, they're, you know, a pizza, just seeing the description of pizza doesn't doesn't work you have to see what it looks like there's a lot of so yelp has the i don't even look i'm the worst yeah they have a lot most of the restaurants have lots of food photos that people upload okay well this is good to know what was the first concert that you ever went to or saw or remember bruce springsteen in fifth grade oh lucky yeah Yeah, at the tacoma dome is there a sport that is like the sport you most enjoy watching Tennis by far. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Have you been to any of the Grand Slams? I have. I've been to the US Open a couple times. Those night matches are incredible. And my bucket list is to go see Wimbledon someday and also the French Open. Okay. We're going to go. This actually gives it away that we've known each other for a very long time. We're both original Seattleites, like some of the very few. But we didn't know each other when we were little, little. Like, tell me about your earliest memories being from here. I, I grew up in Bellevue, and I describe it to people that, that aren't from Seattle. Is basically there was this mall in the middle of downtown Bellevue, and it was like every other mall in America with an Orange Julius in the, and you just go in, in Pizza Haven, and, and, you, and, and you just walk around. Like in the summer, your parents would drop you off. And you just walk around and walk around the mall and cruise around and go into go into all the really, really nice stores like JJ Gubbs and <laughs> look at clothes that you couldn't afford to buy. <laughs> and I was in there selling the clothes. So we probably right. did meet. Totally, probably. I worked at Bell Square. I had to park in the park from the distance where the employee lot. Yeah. That's so and then, funny. And then it was that and going over to the Bellevue Athletic Club and swimming and playing tennis. So what were you into back then as far as sports? It was swimming and tennis? No, I I was the worst swimmer ever. As a matter of fact, I tried out for the swim team and it was a pretty horrible experience. I was Do you get, is there such a thing as getting cut from the swim team? I'll tell you what happened. I we were all lined up. It was an Olympic sized pool, the, the indoor pool, huge pool, and there's I don't know how many slots there are, l- l- tons of lanes. And I dove in. And when I got to the halfway part, right before I got to the halfway part where you turn around, I looked up and thought, oh, I'm smoking everybody. What a walk in the park. And I barely even swim ever. And I got to the midsection and I turned around and I looked up and everyone was out of the pool already. Oh, that's like a traumatizing. So I got out and there was no walking off the court. You had to finish. So I I was probably like 10 and I, I got back 
and my mom was there because everyone was there with their parents and she just looked at me and said so swimming's not your thing on to the next that's good yeah but I I ski I alpine ski raced and I and I played tennis so those were kind of the two sports that I I did the most yeah I knew that you were like a baller skier and it's just so cool when I see people that can ski like you it's just amazing well your body thanks you for not doing it in your knees and back thing <laughs> so you're into the skiing were you into school were you a student like did you qualify in your mind as a good student i was a good student i that was important to me and probably more important to my parents so getting good grades was was not an option. was not getting good grades wasn't an option or i would get my car keys taken away yeah it's all linked together part of the yeah. deal plus the deal. What about your parents? Where are they from? And what was what were some of their kind of values that are clear in your mind as far as what was important to them? My dad, my dad's family was from Germany and my dad grew up in, in Bellevue actually. And grades were really important to him. And he ended up, he was a, a doctor. So obviously it's important to get really good grades and if you want to become a doctor. <laughs> so that was always really, really important to him. And then my mom was born and raised in Paris. So she came over to the United States after she met my dad when he was just like backpacking around Europe and they got introduced. And That's a cool story. I didn't know that. Yeah. So her, her fr- family's all from, from France. So did you spend time there growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I spent in during the summers when I was, a, when I was a kid, I, I would go over there pretty much every summer That's and so visit, cool. visit with the family over there. And then, yeah. So they, they, yeah, they met over there and got married and then my mom moved here. And so I um, kind of went back and forth and I'm a dual citizen too. I don't think I knew that either. That's very cool. Especially in, in the world as it is right now, right? We all want dual citizenship. Right. And it was really neat in, in grad school because I lived over there. So that was fun to get to spend a summer in Paris. And you still have family there? I do. Yeah. I have a few family members over there. That's very cool. And so yeah. when you're like abroad and telling people about Seattle is it like when you're describing it as you mentioned is it an idyllic place in your mind or do you think of places like New York and Chicago and San Francisco like big LA bigger cities do you still think of Seattle as like a small town or a big city I still think of it as a small town other people think of it as a major city. And that's probably the main difference is when you tell people you're from your Seattle, when you're from, if you tell people that you're from Seattle now, the reaction you get is very different than, you know, 30 years ago when you told people that now, now it's always been an important city. Now it's a really, really important global city, obviously, because you have everything from Microsoft and Amazon. Yeah. It's pretty unbelievable what's come out of this city. And people from from overseas, they think about Nirvana and Jimmy yeah. Hendrix and all these other Bruce Lee and all these amazing people that are yeah. from Seattle that we lay claim to. Right. And when you were little growing up, did you want to be a doctor like your dad? No, because I really don't like blood or guts or anything. Needles. Nothing. I don't like any of that either. I can't deal. <laughs> yeah. I would. What did you want to be? A doctor. I actually wanted to be a lawyer, believe it or not. You'd be good at that. I, that was my plan. <clears throat> and then my uncle, who's a lawyer, talked me out of it and I didn't have a good backup. So I had to go figure it out on my own. 
So, so I know you went to UW, like, was that a hundred percent the plan all along? Like, this is where I want to go. I want to go in state or how did that end up being the choice? Because that was the place where my parents would pay for me to go. So it wasn't really much of an option. It yeah. Was, so you're like, I'm going to UW and. It was, if you go there, we'll pay for it. Otherwise you have to figure out a way for pay for it yourself. So I said, okay, well, that's not much of an op choice. I'll just yeah. right get it for free. Yeah, it's near impossible to get in now. It's unbelievable how competitive it's become. Yeah. And so when you went originally, were you planning on pursuing, like ultimately going back to law school after college? Absolutely. That was absolutely my plan was to go be a lawyer. And I, I had it all planned out. I wanted to be a defense attorney for malpractice against doctors. I was just all ready to go. And How crazy that you were so clear on what you wanted to do and be. I had no idea. I was yeah. just taking classes that were like close enough to the sorority that I could like walk and be lazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, like, I what building I had, is closest. I thought I had it all figured out. And then some things happened and I got discouraged, just, you know, discouraged from going and it, yeah. I decided that it wasn't for me. What did you end up studying instead? In undergrad, I studied psychology. Which wasn't super helpful when I graduated. If you're not going, it doesn't matter what you study if you're going to law school, because there's, you just have to take the LSAT. Yeah. But if you want to go into business and you don't have a business degree, it's, it can be a challenge to get that first job. Mm -hmm. And is that what you wanted to do? I know you went right into healthcare. Like, what did you think about and how did, how did your opportunities like open themselves to you? You know, I wanted to, I really have always liked technology a lot. So I, I kind of figured, and that was right at the beginning of the internet. So I assumed that I would end up working in technology. And that was something that I was just personally passionate about. And so I, I kind of created an opportunity for myself in my first job, helping helping the company get set up with the internet and email and just all the basic technology stuff. And so that was my first, my first I would say, real job in and ironically, it was sort of technology and healthcare, which is which was what my passion, which was like a personal passion area for me, cool. especially if I wasn't going to go to law school. And then once I went to grad school, I I still kept looking around for companies that I thought were at the intersection of healthcare and technology, and there just weren't any that I when I graduated that I thought were were interesting. And even the companies that were high flying healthcare internet companies most of those companies went away because they had flawed business models. And how did you know what you were doing? Were you self-taught and how did you go about getting the job? I mean, I, I basically just asked around and anyone that would take a meeting with me, whether it was through a family or a friend and <clears throat> anyone that would, that, that I could get a meeting with, I would, I would go try to get a meeting with. And, and <clears throat> ultimately for that first job, which, you know, was a pretty junior job was more just about, finding some opportunities where I could add clear value and just say here, like, what, what are some things that you need to have done? Okay. This, this, and this great. I'll do that. And so what was the, what was the, this, this, and this? It was mainly taking a bunch of their data and helping them organize it so that they didn't have to rely on stacks and stacks of papers and fax machines and just, you know, really wasteful antiquated model when they saw that they could, you know, bring a bunch of this stuff online, a lot of their systems and process online. And, it, and I wasn't, I certainly wasn't creating that software. It was me, it was literally me going and 
you know, getting them access to applications that can make their run, business run a little bit better. So it wasn't, yeah. well, I wasn't developing anything for them. And how did you decide to go back to grad school? Is that a necessity? Did someone say like, this is important or you felt like I need to take a break? How did you make that decision? I, I felt like I could really benefit from, from grad school at that time in my life. They're, you know, getting access to more education to supplement what I was already learning. And it, it also gave me access to incredible professors and an exposure to a bunch of areas that were really, really important for me to learn about. So it wasn't a break and it wasn't a requirement. It just felt like a good next step. Mm-hmm. And it ironically, I ended up, you know, not even, you know, working in that area. I ended up just going straight into like data and advertising, but I, I don't regret it. Yeah. I mean, and cause you worked in healthcare a little bit after and then, yeah. and then eventually decided I want to go into tech. Exactly. Like yeah. tech, tech, pure tech. I just being a management consultant was not for me. Like <laughs> sitting yeah. in a windowless cube. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, some people that I talk to, yeah. Year. I think some people also, they feel like it's like I'm I'm kind of dipping in and dipping out, but I want to like have an operating role within something I'm building for myself. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel like just knowing your personality, I also kind of just think of you as an entrepreneur. I think some people are just meant to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> You know, like even if it wasn't a management consultant, I don't know if I could picture you and like working for someone else forever. I don't know. I think it ebbs and flows. I think it really depends on if you're, you know, I talk to people all the time that are trying to figure out whether they should start a company or stay at their existing, in their existing role. And I think it, a lot of it's situational. Like, do Mm -hmm. you, like, are you at a point in your life where you can go do that? Or is there something that's just, you just feel such a, a strong, a yeah. yeah, a real pull to go solve a problem that you're like banging your head into every day or observing. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of roles inside big companies where you can go work with incredible people and solve really, really tough problems. I've worked at big companies too and had a lot of fun. So I think yeah. it really has is more. I mean, at the end of the day, is are you surrounded by people that you want to be working with every day? Right, and, and it, you feel inspired. Yeah, and if you can feel inspired and get that from a big company then it, in in feel ownership over a problem that you're solving then it can it can share a lot of those attributes that makes you know running your own company yeah fun tell me about 2008 when you started blue kai you had two co-founders how did you come up with the idea how did you meet these guys i was at a company in seattle in bellevue actually that was in the advertising space and i would get calls frequently from from companies that just didn't want our software didn't want to buy ads didn't want to buy the software and were were struggling to find data online and and that was a really really big problem because there was really no company that provided a clean transparent marketplace for accessing data online separate from the media if you were an advertiser or an agency, like an airline, for example, and you wanted to target people that were, you know, shopping for for plane tickets, and you wanted to show them an ad outside of Google, then you would go to, you know, one of a hundred different companies, and you'd buy their definition of what someone in market for travel was, and it could have been someone that read an article with the word travel on it, 
or in it. Then it might have had nothing to do with travel. And then there was a bunch of data that was being used improperly. And so we just, my my co-founder and I both were seeing this problem and we had worked together and we decided this is a problem that no one's solving. And we think that, frankly, the data is more valuable than the media it runs on a lot of the time. Just like you might go buy you know, a ring and then you might buy a diamond separately and put the diamond in the ring. And, you know, that diamond's pretty, pretty valuable. Often you could argue more valuable than the ring that it's in. And, and so we felt like the data was being improperly used and undervalued. And what was happening is it was keeping a lot of the really good data on the sidelines or locked out of the advertising industry. So we, he and I got together and decided we we're going to start that company. And then we, we brought on a third a third guy named Alex, who was an incredible product guy. And, and that was that was how we started the company. And at the time, at that time, everybody thought we were nuts just because the economy was not in a good place. And and no one was no one in the digital advertising world was used to buying data by itself. Everyone was just used to buying ads that had data in it. And so it took a lot of a lot of meetings and explaining to people why understanding the data that you're buying is so important. And, and interestingly, in the offline world, that's been happening for decades. Like you might, if you want to send a mailer out to somebody, whether you're Wells Fargo or a pizza place down the street, you are, you are, people are very, very focused on the data and who they're going to send a mailer to. And so we felt like that model was inevitably going to be the same model in in digital advertising, and, and it eventually did become that model. So that is now obviously a critical part of how all advertisers advertise now online. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. huge. You guys were the biggest and first movers yeah. in this yeah. space. And, we, and-, and what happened was a couple of years in, we, we started to have some companies come to us, some really large global brands say, hey, we, we really like the data, but we have all of our own data and we don't know how to manage our own data properly. Can we use your underlying software to help us make sense of our own data. And we said, sure, we can do that. So that was when we launched our second product, which was a data platform that helped companies manage their own data. So basically at the end, we had a platform that helped companies manage their own data. And then we had a marketplace where they could enhance their own data with external data. What was the bigger part of the business or the one that really like propelled the growth? They were both... They were, I would say that they were both really, really important. The the software part of the, so one was a software business and one was a data business. I think the software business was a SaaS business and that if I had, I, I think they were both really important and they were complementary to each other. So I wouldn't say that one's more important. If you think about now, even today, companies really, really rely on data to make their businesses run and to understand analytics better, but they also need systems to manage their own data. So I yeah. think the two are super complementary. I wouldn't say that one's more important. I would say that they're both absolute requirements for for businesses to... Yeah. Today, it seems so like, yes, but it's <laughs> unbelievable that people weren't doing this back then and that you guys had the vision for it. So how, tell me about your co-founder, your original friend, buddy from work, Omar, that you co-founded the company with. Did you kind of overthink that as far as like, well, what if we don't want the same things? And what if we don't, you know, I guess want to 
have the same end goal or what if we don't want to build the same thing? Like, what was your vetting process? Because I feel like the the co-founder thing can get so complicated. And it seems like it's just a great friendship and a great partnership. It is. I'm really thankful for for having met him. It's a we're still incredibly close. We talk practically every day. But you know, Omar and I work together. And he was before we even started the company together, and he was a product and marketing, you know, and, and he's also highly technical. And I was more on like the partnership and relationship side. And and so we had brought to market some ideas and worked really, really well together. I think the I think the main reason why we worked well so well together was there's just a 100% trust and there always has been. And we earned that trust over getting to know each other for years, even before we started the company. And then when we started the company, I think if you're anchored in trust, then it makes, it allows you to make decisions very quickly. And, and, and if they don't work, then that's okay. Not every decision that we didn't have to agree on every decision. And one of us wasn't always right, but I think I would say that there's just a lot of trust. And on top of that, we had a very, very almost identical vision for we we were both seeing this issue before we started the company and we each independently saw the problem. So we both had observed the problem and we both thought about the solution to the problem the same way. We both had the same vision for where we wanted to take the company and the and there was and it was all on a on a real platform of trust between us. So awesome. yeah. And so I think we, you know, we rarely did we fight. I think I think from a co-founder perspective, I you know, it's it's really hard to predict that sort of thing. But right. I'm very yeah, you can't part. tell. What was the how did you fund the business? We raised we we were pretty lucky because the area that we were interested in, you know, the problem that we were interested in solving wasn't a huge problem there, but there were investors like Chris Moore from Redpoint who believed he had funded this company, Right Media, that was the very first media exchange. And so he was convinced that the next big idea would be a data exchange for digital advertising. And so, and, and serendipitously, he had, he had also knew who Omar was and who was trying to recruit Omar to go be a CEO of a Redpoint company. And so when we went to him and said, hey, we have this idea for a data exchange, he was like, I've been waiting for this. So it was, it was pretty fortunate alignment of the stars. Yeah. Uh, so Redpoint, we didn't do a seed round or anything like that. We just went straight into the Series A, and it was in Redpoint's a fantastic firm, and Chris was an amazing partner and super involved from the very beginning in helping us with That's recruiting and all parts of the business. So we, I think we, I think we were fortunate in that we had really good financial backing right from the beginning, so we didn't have to spend much time, you know out running around, wasting time, talking to a hundred venture firms. Yeah. So what was the business model? How did the company make money? So the, the, we, we created a, an auction marketplace for data. So we went to companies that had really, really good data that were, it might not be their primary business model, but they were either, they, they didn't know how to monetize their data or it was being monetized without their knowledge <laughs> unfairly. So we said, hey, we we can help you put your data in this marketplace and make sure that it's super transparent on what people are able to get and how they're able to use it. And we created a registry. So there was clear opt-out and, and you know privacy already built in the day we launched it. 
And so it was able to attract companies that had really, really good data that were that were worried about participating in the digital advertising system. So it was the first, I would say, set of guardrails that went around data, you know, data usage, uh, digital advertising, because the, it was sort of the wild west before that. And so we we put some process in place that allowed companies that were sitting on incredible data assets to get to participate in this economy on their own terms. So it was an auction place. And then the other side of the business, the SaaS that was basically just software that companies would license and, and that was a that that part of this is a software business obviously because it's their own data so we're not going to sell them their own data so yeah. we we would license them software to help manage all of their data and then if they yeah. want to license more data they could do that and at what point did you and omar and, and your team kind of come together and say like or was it organic to define your culture your vision your values all of that part and how did that play into your recruiting strategy? Great question. We tried to, for the first 50 or so people, be super involved in every hire, regardless of whether it was an engineering hire or a sales hire or product hire or HR or finance. We we really tried to either have Omar or me interview every single person and that was one piece. And then we hide, we, we relied heavily on referrals, you know, people that had worked with other people just because it's so hard to tell on paper. But when you have someone that says, Hey, I've worked with this person, she's great. We work together at XYZ company. So I would say those two pieces were, were pretty, pretty important. Everyone tries to define culture, but I would say that you, you end up you know, you try to get as much as you can, right? And we, you know, we, like every other company, made some hiring mistakes along the way that smart people actually really like smart people that weren't culturally a fit. Luckily, we didn't make too many of those. But every time that happened, I would remember that. And so we, you know, I think at the end, it was, the you know, it was a good market, a good job market. And there were a lot of talented people out there. And so the filter that the kind of the final filter, I think that we, we settled on was we just didn't want to hire any jerks. So we didn't care how, how accomplished someone was. If we got the sense that the person was arrogant and, and going to, you know, not, not help the company be better culturally, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't hire them. And that's much easier said than done because we had to, we had to, we had to pass on some super, super talented people. Yeah. Uh, you could, we just got a bad sense. <laughs> it's amazing that. how many people say like our one thing is, you know, that they usually say assholes. It seems like that's the word people use, but like, no assholes. And I'm like, if I could crack the code on, I mean, you can have a gut reaction, right? Like to yeah. me, I think it's important, especially at the higher levels, take somebody out for to a restaurant, like just see how they treat human beings. <laughs> like the basics of like everything our parents taught us in kindergarten, like, Make eye contact, like please and thank you. Totally, and and on all levels. I remember, you know, interviewing, you know, people like CFOs, and I was shocked that I was both relieved and shocked, relieved that some of the people just made it so easy for me to tell, <laughs> and shocked that they didn't try to hide it more. Right, you're like at least be on your best behavior. We're on a first date. Like, hey, should this, this show up later? Way, it's super easy for me to pass. Right. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys ultimately sold the company, you know, to Oracle. Yeah. 
was that something you like put yourself out to the market or they approached you and how did that whole thing go down? That It's so funny because we had, we had had other companies interested in, in acquiring the company all the way back to the very beginning. And we'd always said no. And as a matter of fact, Omar and I had just decided we're going to keep focused and, and try to go public. And we had hired Morgan Stanley and they were giving us a, a bunch of guidance around here's what you need to do for the year before you can file on here, are the milestones and blah, blah, blah. And so we would we just decided we we're heads down, not going to get distracted, not going to take any of those types of calls. And then in the course of about a week, Oracle and a few other companies all just independently pinged us. And I don't know what was in, in the water, but it all happened at the same time. And, and, and it was compelling enough where we, we just called Morgan Stanley back and said, you know, we think we may need to bring some of these offers to the board and, and have a discussion about them. And so we, we ended up, that was, so that sort of kicked off a process and it, it ended up going down a path. We didn't, we, I don't think either of us expected, certainly not then. And, uh, but it ended up being a, a, you know, a great outcome for everybody. And who was guiding you personally through all this? Because as CEO, this, a lot of this rests on your shoulders and you're the business guy. And it sounds like Omar was the product and, you know, marketing guy. And you, the third, the third co-founder was like tech engineering. No, o Omar was the CEO and I oh, was, he was the CEO and you were, yeah. And I was the chief revenue officer. So oh, that's I, right. Yeah, I knew, that's right. I knew you were chief revenue officer. So who was who was up in those meetings and like how are you guys like how do we know what we're doing? It's a big I mean, deal. Yeah, we had you know Omar and Alex and I. I think we're all in agreement that it was the right the right decision to to ex at least explore that you know those acquisition discussions and then you know, our investors were super super supportive. So I would say they they gave us incredible support. A lot of investors wouldn't. A lot of investors are not thinking about the founders. And I think our investors really put themselves in our shoes and thought about us and in the market and 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 were really supportive. So I don't I don't think I don't know that it would have had that kind of outcome without their support either. They were they were great. Yeah. It sounds like there was like I don't know if it's just like a, not a fairy tale situation, but it sounds like you were just at the end of the day, if I had to kind of summarize your experience, it was about the people. Like you just were surrounded by really amazing human beings. Obviously, great idea, great timing, all of it lined up. But your instincts around people served you well. Like your gut on that part, I think you and Omar and your team has been great. Yeah. And if you look at a bunch of the folks that were at Blue Kai, they, they've sort of sprinkled around and many of them are in really, really amazing roles that, you know, they've gone everywhere, Google and Facebook and Snowflake and Amazon and yeah. had amazing careers since then. So it's And how was the transition for you guys to Oracle, especially because as it's like your baby and you're transitioning the culture and the people and just the systems, everything, how was that experience? It was a pretty big change, obviously, to go from being a, you know, a, you know, a relatively small company to being part of Oracle. They were they were really welcoming. This was their first, they were at the time Oracle wanted to make an aggressive, um, take an aggressive position into outside of traditional databases and into the marketing stack. And so they had 
you know, acquired an email company and, and they, they felt like this was a very strategic area for them. So that, that gave us, I would say, outsized exposure and in, inside of Oracle and, and another really neat experience was they allowed Omar and I to start a global business unit. So we, we started the Oracle data cloud, which ended up being a really important part of the data ecosystem. And then we, we got to expand that business through like organically and inorganically, including a pretty significant acquisition. It ended up being several acquisitions actually for that division, for that business unit. So we, I'd say that, you know, the, the parts that were challenging are probably not unique to us just being, you know, new inside of a company yeah. and learning all the systems. But I would say on the whole, Oracle was pretty, you know, pretty generous and allowed us to go continue to build on that vision. So mm -hmm. and how long, when did you leave Oracle? And I guess some people have that mentality and I think we're hitting that age where some people are just kind of like chilling and knowing your DNA, you probably won't be chilling ever, but I think <laughs> probably maybe I thought you would be going down the route of mostly doing investing things and advisory things and not necessarily taking on like full operating roles. Like, was there a part of you that was like, I'm going to force myself to take a big, huge, long break, but I just kind of can't. <laughs> I tried taking some breaks. I have tried taking some breaks along the way. And I, what I've found is I really, I really like working with people that I like to be around and I love technology. And so I think and it, and and I have done a fair amount of advisory and investment work, and I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that. Mm -hmm. So even if I think the concept of like working versus not working is, I don't, that's sort of a, a pretty binary way of thinking about it. Right. A, I think from an operating, like being in a in an operating role versus not an operating role, that is pretty <laughs> pretty clear. But when I left Oracle, I decided that I wanted to learn about other other industries and spend more time. You know, I wanted to see if there was anything in 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 healthcare that was interesting. So I, you know, I was, I, you know, I I basically helped a couple of different companies that range from 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 healthcare all the way to logistics as like investors and advisors and even some operating support. And then I ultimately ended up starting another company with a guy that worked for me at Blue Kai and that, that company at the time I wasn't an operator. I was, we didn't raise any venture money. I, I basically funded it and was the investor and he was the operator. And then I was going to go join it as a, in an operating capacity, but that, it, then it got acquired by LiveRamp. And so I ended up as part of that running, running that, that LiveRamp. Yeah. The whole the whole process of getting back into the operating mode happened sort of pretty like quickly. Accidentally and quickly. Yeah, kind of accidentally. And yeah, just sort of, I ended up falling into that situation again. Yeah. I'm like, I know. I'm like, and there you are. Yeah. And then so, now I'm back at it. Yeah. And now here you are back at it again. So tell yeah. me about what you're doing these days. And also just seeing the trajectory and kind of the path that you've been on. I'm super curious when you're like in your happy place or you're, you're in kind of the mode of you, you and you're at your best. Is it those early days when the ideas are flowing? Is it like, I guess, you know, everybody has their sweet spot of like, yeah, those were the days kind of thing. Yeah. I'll answer the second question first. 
I, for me, it's fun when you see stuff start to click, even if it's way, it, it can be really early on. It can be later on, but when you're, when you're hammering away at something and you start to see your idea snap into place and you start to see, you start to see customers or partners benefit their businesses benefit from it and they're getting real value from it. That's a pretty fun, for me, that's a pretty fun experience. And and that radiates without within an organization. I mean, I don't care what division you're in at a company. When you see, you know, an email, like an internal email, that that describes how the product or the work that everyone's doing is really, really having a real impact, not just at a company, but maybe on an industry. I that's pretty special, and I and, and people get really, really excited. And so it's this snowball effect. So mm -hmm. I like when I start to see that what I'm doing is having an impact. And then I like to see that impact on the people at the company and it makes them more excited. And it, it, it you know, it's probably a, an overused analogy, but it's probably a little bit like, you know, a baseball team that, you know, once they start clicking and winning games, then it, it can become a, you know, it can take on a life of its own. So. 100%. Yeah. I love that. I've never actually, I, don't, I mean, I don't ask that question all the time, but I'm always curious about it. And I've never had somebody answer it that way. And it makes perfect sense. And it gives me energy just thinking about it. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Yeah. And so tell me about what you're doing now. So right now, continuing to do some investing in some advisory work. I'm on the board of two companies that I love. One is Omar, my Blue Cry co-founder. He has an AI company and it's incredible. They're They're working on some really interesting ideas around advertising and in particular in video. And then I'm also on the board of a connected TV company called Mountain. That's a it's it's a little bit like like a little bit like AdWords for 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 connected TV. So it's performance marketing. And uh that company is really they're both amazing founders and I love working with them and I love their teams and I, I love the problems they're solving. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also, I recently invested in a data company and became CEO of that last year. And that's been a lot of fun. So it's a, it's a data company that's been around for a while, but pretty under the radar. They never raised any money and they weren't really doing a lot in digital or cloud, but they're, they have incredible um, assets and people and data. And so I'm helping them expand into, into into digital in the cloud. And I think that'll be a pretty interesting company to watch too. What does the company do exactly? I mean, I read about it and it's, it sounds like a very cool company, by the way. Yeah. So the company has a couple different components. So there's a data piece where they, they have incredible data at the business and household level. So, so that if people want to reach their customers, they can reach them in a clean clean and transparent way. You know, it's, it's in the data space, no big surprise that I've been in. Yeah, it's uh, like data, 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 shmeda. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about the data. Which yeah. Is in, in, you know, most of the, a lot of the data, a lot of the companies, at least in, in marketing, either don't have access to great data or they don't know how to use data or, you know, there aren't mechanisms for them to use data in the way that they want to use it. Mm -hmm. So we're helping try to address some of those issues that have been pretty painful for, for companies. 
over the last several years? We've always looked at data. We look at things, you know, in recruiting, like submittals to interviews, interviews to offers, offers to acceptances, like the metrics are more. And then we look at data around, you know, the types of target candidates. And obviously there's lots, but to me, the more I dig into it, the more I'm like, this is just, it almost feels addicting. Like it feels like, where is the beginning and the end of data? You do know what I mean? I don't yeah, know if that's a weird question, but it's like, we can get second meetings where I'm like, okay, guys, I got to call uncle here. We can't keep, it's like, where do we even stop tracking data? Yeah, the, the, it, it's a it's a really bizarre problem because more data is being created now than more than, than, than ever before. And it's being created in all these new areas. And so it's a, basically a broken fire hose of data. So on the one hand, you have more data than you've ever had before. And then on the other hand, it's hard to get that data into a place where you can analyze it and start to make decisions. It can be very, very overwhelming. 100%. People. And so that's, that's you know, one of the one of the reasons why I like this company is we, we think we can help companies enhance their own data and get access to data that helps them make decisions and helps them communicate better with their, with their customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I read also, about, I read that you have some partners, like obviously like, like Oracle and Meta, yeah. How are, what are some examples of ways that these companies are utilizing, utilizing your, your business? Like how are they partnering with you? They can work with us in both offline and online. So we can help them with their data or if they need, if they need data in anything from direct mail all the way through connected television. Mm-hmm. But for example, with 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 Meta, they advertisers have to bring their own data to Meta. I mean, Meta has data, but if but advertisers, if they want to bring their own data to Meta, a lot of them choose to bring their own data that is outside of the data that Meta has. And so we have an integration with Meta that allows them to access and port data over to Meta or Facebook. And, and it's really, really easy to use and self-service in that 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 integration and getting that data into into Meta can be a real challenge. And especially for the kind of the middle market, mm-hmm. companies uh, oftentimes don't get, like the SMB market, don't get a lot of resources. And so yeah. they can, you know, we have thousands of customers now that are using that. And it's a completely self-serve platform. So they can just log in and upload their data or access data and make it available as part of their Facebook campaign. And that's one example. Um, and there's also companies that want to use data for analytics to better understand their own customer, their own customer base, create a 360 view of their customer. So there are lots of different ways the data can get used. Super. Cool. And it just kind of depends on if you're an advertiser and you want to enhance your own you know, customer profile store, or if you're a company that sells ads and you want and you need data to make those ad products more enrich those ad products. So it just, you know, it, it depends. And frankly, there are use cases that have nothing to do with advertising too. So mm-hmm. there are cloud applications and other types of digital applications that can use data that that are beyond just advertising. So the data doesn't really care where it's being used. As long as it's, you know, used in a compliant way and you know you're well within the guardrails of how and where data should get used we're pretty careful about that yeah that's an area that you probably know everything about and i don't know a ton about is that changing and is that something that's like heavily it's changing it's changing all the time and it's 
the folks that aren't that sort of wait around for the changes to happen, I think are are that's not the best strategy. You know, there the way I look at data is there are things that you can do, there are things that you can't do, and there are things that you shouldn't do. And to me, there's no difference between what you shouldn't do and what you cannot do. To me, they're the same. Yeah. So you don't want to wait around for um, legislation to tell you that you're doing something that you shouldn't do. You should just not do that out of the game. Yeah. yeah. And so if you're like, you know, my business is pretty simple. It's like recruiting, like, yeah. but you're like, oh, I'm in data, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I would imagine it like a cocktail party, or if you're talking to Naomi and her friends that they're kind of like, wait, in one ear, out the other. Sometimes <laughs> it just kind of, you know, all these companies that talk about data kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. How would you generally explain this might be a weird question, I guess. If you're talking to Naomi, your mm-hmm. daughter, right. and you're just talking to her about data and how people can use it, how would you generally explain to her why it's important and how companies can, what the ROI is from looking at data? And then yeah. also, if I'm, if I'm a person listening and I own a company, how do I even know where to begin to look at my data? I mean, I might even... If I were explaining it to Naomi and, and you were there, I might even just use your company as an example. So you have- So I'm getting like free advice right now. This is amazing. <laughs> well, I, this is, I, I led you into this, Grant. This right now. Here we this go. Perfect. Here we go. There, you know, when it, when it comes to using data, for example, in marketing purposes, so you have a recruiting firm and you want to reach certain types of potentially either prospects or business decision makers, you you have earned media and paid media. So you might have, you know, an email list that you use to target people that are either have been prospects of yours or customers in the past to tell them about, you know, you just hired a, you know, a woman to run your, who knows, your pharma practice, right? Or your IT, a new, a new practice area for you. And or to aerospace practice, whatever whatever new practice you're launching and you've hired this new person, you want to get the word out. So you might, you know, you might send an email campaign out and you might, you know, put some information up on your site about it. But then you might also want to do some paid media. And that could be everything from really targeted, you know, you might have a cocktail party and you want to send out really nice invitations to certain business businesses in within a certain region. So you might buy a list of B2B decision makers at firms where you feel like they would be great at the decision makers. That's data that you can go license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might also have a, you know, a, you know, a seminar online to talk about the importance of hiring and learning and your approach in certain areas, especially for example, like in aerospace or whatever new new area you're, you know, you're launching, and you might have a webinar. And so you might have a, you know, in addition to an email, you might do a targeted online campaign where you want to reach those same people or different people. And those that that's all data that you can you can go get. And that's not necessarily easy data to get. There are different places where you can get access to that type of data, ours being one of them. So those are just some examples. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So that's that's from the perspective of marketing. Yeah. But people are using data for like literally everything. And so yeah, as so- it's being regulated, and if I want to understand how it's being regulated, where do I look? How do I understand it? 
what should I be reading about? Another another example, and I'll get to that in a second. Another example would be in like a non-marketing use case is you might have two giant companies. You might have like a Costco or a Walmart and they may, you know, they partner with Unilever and they may want to share data with each other and they might put, they might each put data into a clean room and that data needs to be clean. And then maybe it gets merged inside that clean room for, you know, joint marketing purposes so that they could, you know, they can do some stuff together. So there would be whole hygiene and enhancement of the data outside of any kind of marketing related use case or for analytics. And so they might need a, a system for merging that data and performing hygiene on that data, enhancing that data. So um, those are other examples. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Switching gears. Cause otherwise I'm going to talk to you all day long. How are you feeling just generally about the economy and investing and opportunities right now in the tech space? I think that, I think from the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the economy. I'm pretty concerned about the economy and I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I would imagine that, you know, we're, we had a really, really good run over a decade of just of crazy growth. So I'm not surprised that it's corrected itself. The question is how long Mm -hmm. Um, you'll have to have one of your economist friends come on and Mm -hmm. uh, tell us how long that'll be. But I would be shocked if, if that doesn't continue at least for the next 18 months or 24 months. But I, I think that I'm hopeful that the public markets, the IPO market will start to open up again from a, from an investing perspective, the investor, the, the entrepreneurs that I like are the ones that don't try to time things and just are passionate about going and and building amazing technology to go solve problems. And they don't sit Mm -hmm. around, you know, wondering, you know, they, they don't think too much about the economy, they're just focused on solving the problem because generally the problem they're solving is a problem that's been around for a long time or will be around for a long time. I mean, right. if I had, if I had worried about the economy and started a company during, you know, a good economy or a bad economy, I never would have started Blue Kai. Couldn't have started in a worse economy. And it, you know, you can't time everything. So, you know, it's just like anything else in life. If you want to go do something, then and you just got to get up and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I still invest. I just, I try to invest in companies that I can get passionate about and, and also have some value to add to the company. Mm-hmm. So when you're, so you're working, you're working, you're investing, you yeah. got the, you got the dad thing going on. You're <laughs> crazy, crazy busy. How are you able to, I guess, keep your, your mental health strong, your physical health strong? What are you doing to unwind and just kind of chill out? I should exercise more. That's, that's the most important thing. I try to, I try to walk. I try to, I mean, it sounds silly, but I try to do the 10,000 steps. That's not silly at all. That's like all this longevity stuff. Like it's all about the steps and the sleep and the blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So I I try to focus on, I try is the keyword to, to get the right amount of sleep. And I try to, to, to walk a lot, obviously, you know, any additional activity like skiing or tennis or sports or pickleball or whatever people are playing now is, is just another added bonus. But I, you know, little, I, I think you could, little things matter. So for example, if you just do a couple of phone calls that aren't zoom calls, if you can just walking, if you don't need to be in front of a computer, looking at 
numbers or something like that, that just that, you know, a couple of those a day can really, I find, have a lot of positive impact for me. Yeah, um, that's um, smart. And I and I do think the mental health problem is is impacting. It's certainly impacting everyone, like directly or indirectly. I don't know a single person that isn't impacted by it. And it's. I agree. It comes up all the time in conversations, and yeah, I mean the the numbers, the statistics show everybody's more stressed, more anxious. I mean, the pandemic didn't help, and just the world and where we are is like crazy town. Totally, um, the world and the, yeah, everything going around us. It just feels like yeah. It's, it's an it's a nutty moment right now. So I'm not surprised to learn that you're doing stuff to take care of yourself because I I always think of you as being pretty balanced. Um, but what would I be, I guess, surprised to learn about you, or what our listeners would be surprised to learn about you? Gosh, it's a good question. Don't throw uh-huh. me off too much. <laughs> I'm like, should I be scared? Uh, no, no. I I wish I had something that was interesting. I I probably the biggest thing for me, and this wouldn't surprise your listeners, but it probably would surprise you is post COVID the amount of travel I've done. I used to be on a plane every single like week practically. And my travel has pretty much ground to a halt. And that probably, I mean, I was in New York last week and I'm actually going to LA this week. So I feel like it's still starting to pick up, but that I, I haven't, you know, I don't feel like at least for me and for a lot of people, I know that the travel piece it's, it's, just starting to turn on again, but it, I don't know if the, if the amount of travel and the way companies look at travel, like this whole, whether it's travel or like being in the office, I don't feel like there's a clear answer for that yet. That is a one, it's certainly not a one size fits all. And that's something that I, I'm noticing for myself, if I don't need to, like, you know, I used to, I think just travel a lot more. And so I'm traveling less now. And I also think that people underestimate the muscle and the fortitude it requires to travel a lot. I know that for me, I'm you sort of have that travel muscle, and mine is not what it used to be. And I don't know if it's just because I'm older, but but that that's something that I surprised a lot of people that know me just because I used to travel all the time, and now I'm just traveling a lot less. Yeah, it's just getting to like a mindset. Yeah. So is there anything that you're thinking about, like what's top of mind right now as far as like ambition and then what's top of mind right now as far as like fear? I I try to not, I would say that I need to do a better job of not being as fearful of the stuff that I, the things I don't control, but I'm not very good at that. (laughs) I still worry. I mean, there's a lot way outside of business that I'm worried about that that I try to not dwell on too much or to the extent that I can have an impact in my own small way that I would like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I forgot what the first question was. Oh, Am- ambition. Like, what are you thinking? Like, I feel like, you know, both of us were at the same age and every year that passes, I'm a little bit like, this is the year I'm going to, I don't even know what I have stupid things in my mind, but, and then it's like another year is gone and it, it, it might be an ambition and they, they kind of waffle, but it could be something like, do a triathlon or something physical or something spiritual or something, you know, business-wise? Is there, are you a person who's setting goals or thinking about ambitions outside of business? Yeah, I definitely want to spend more time doing some of the things that I enjoy personally doing. So for example, we talked a little bit about, I think, bucket lists, like going to Wimbledon or going to the French Open. Like I would love to spend you know, I'd love to go 
you know, go watch Wimbledon and go watch the French Open and, you know, go watch the Hanencom in Switzerland. And, and just, there are a bunch of events that, that would be great for the family to go see. And it's just a lot of fun in different parts of the world. That That's one thing that each year that ticks off, I, I sort of say, oh, the, the next year. I'm yeah. Yes. hundred percent. So I need to do that. And then, and then also just try to try to remember to stay healthy and do, I can, I think we can, I mean, most people can do more. I'm certainly in that category. I can always be doing a lot more to help with my, with my wellness and my health. And that obviously translates to your mental health to some extent too. Um, so I'd like to start getting a little bit more of a routine and, and, and really just focusing on that. But I, I think I do an okay job, but I could do a lot better. It's so hard. I've been saying for years, like, okay, I'm going to start meditating. I even have like things that go off that say, totally. to meditate. I hit delete. And I, I, know, I, know, I know, I know, well, it's, you know. We're getting older and people, you know, unfortunately, you know, we we're at that age now where you start to see people getting, getting sick. sick or, yeah, yeah, I so know. It's much easier to... The best way to deal with a problem is to avoid the problem in the first place. Yeah. I'll start to be your accountability person. I'll text you random things like, let's Thank go. You. Time to yes. time yes. to meditate. Totally. No, I'm 100% with you. Okay. My final question for you, okay. you've given me so, so much time. I'm so grateful. Is what fuels you? People. Being around people that inspire me. That's probably the number one. My daughter inspires me. Definitely people by far. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.